Two of the best emerging chefs in the country are in Miami, and for the next hour, they're in our studio. Hey, I'm Carlos Frias. This is Sundial. Aquino West has quietly been making a name for himself as one of the most talked about young chefs. He was recently named one of America's top 20 emerging talents by the James Beard Foundation. He's worked for big name chefs and big name restaurants like Noma, one of the best restaurants in the world in Denmark. His breakout role started out of necessity. He and his wife ran a bed and breakfast in Overtown that had to shut down during the pandemic. They eventually had to close it for good. Not before they started cooking out of the hotel kitchen. They called this pop-up restaurant Rosie's. Aquino developed a combination of Southern Black-inspired food and the world cuisine he'd studied. People loved it, and it grew into a full restaurant in Little River. The chef Cleophas Hethington was nominated for the same award last year. He got there by following his own winding path. Through the Navy and a brief career in healthcare before finding his passion in the kitchen, Cleo creates dishes that highlight black culture and flavors, from Africa to the Caribbean to the Americas. Now he's on to a whole new challenge. He created a kosher menu that brings in some of those flavors at Zach the Baker in Wynwood. Aquino and Cleo are cooking together at a dinner this month. It's in honor of B. Hines, the first black woman reporter at the Miami Herald. Here to talk about their paths, with me and with each other, are Aquino and Cleo. Gentlemen, thank you both for being here. Uh, thanks for having us. Oh, thank looking, you for having us. I'm, I'm, I'm interested. I've always been interested in not just talking with each one of you guys, but also to all talk together and hear you guys talk to each other. I think is one of the most interesting parts of it. And and Aquino, later we'll get into it. But you showed up at the station with a box, a mystery box. Yeah. Uh, so we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna unbox that, but maybe in this uh, after the break. So cool, keep cool. people coming around. You know what I what I really found interesting, and I think it says a lot about maybe what's happening in Miami too. Uh, and in the world of food, is that you guys approach cooking black culture differently, very differently, in the sense that, Aquino, you've focused on, like, southern black culture, like, some of the dishes that we've seen, but you mix it with this world cuisine that you learn. And, um, Cleo, you you approached it kind of like looking at the African diaspora, like tracing that food. So I guess I, 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 guess I want to know a little bit about um, what do you think it means to have these two chefs, you know, honored for your work in Black-inspired cuisine, that's very different to each other. What does that mean for us right now? Yeah, so, like, um, like for, for me, it's, it's all been about, you know, how can we pay homage to the people that's uh, shown us this food and created such a uh, such a pleasant um, experience for memories that I, like, grew up with. Like, my, my grandmother, every week, used to have a, uh, no, sorry, every day, <laughs> used to have a pot of uh, grits on. And I loved it. I was like, this is what I want to do. This is really what makes it uh, special, you know. She didn't add all the, like, glitter and glam flair and all that stuff to it. She was just like, a little bit of butter, some grits, some water, a little salt, and she was happy. Um. Um, obviously, in our restaurant, we decided, you know, change it up. And, you know, we, we add cheese, butter, grits, you know, uh, a little bit of polenta, um, just to kind of really create such a, uh, a, a little, di- a, a little bit of a different experience for our guests. Um, obviously our restaurant Rosie's He's is very particular based- about that too. Yeah. 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 <laughs> is he, is he a Kino real particular about his food? Why? Tell me in what way? <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, you know, we're both equally the same, right. But, um, you know, with all respect, it's just anything that you do and you put, you put your heart into it. You, and you have standards that you want to, to live up to. 
um, or you want your food to to live up to or exceed mm-hmm. those expectations, you, you're gonna be particular about it. So, you know, sometimes it, it just take, takes a moment of, for some people or anybody who doesn't quite grasp that right away to take take a moment to step back and see and understand the perspective and the vision and the goals of what, what you're trying to achieve. You know, because even just as, you know, as black chefs, we, it's almost like you, when you get the opportunity, you got to take it and you got to swing and you got to try your best not to hit a single or a double, but to try to hit a home run because you almost feel like you don't, you're not sure when that opportunity might come again. Um, so, I mean, you know, like I tell him and Jamil all the time, like I'm, I'm proud of them because they've, they've been here in Miami and persevered. You know, I've, you know, I started cooking here, but I've, I've left, you know, I've, Went to New York, New York, worked for John George. I've been to Italy and worked at Les Serenuse and, you know, been to Brazil and all these places and, and worked and and honed my craft. But, you know, that's all been because I probably didn't have the same perseverance that they've had or faith they've had in Miami food market. Right. And, well, now, and now he's back, which is awesome. Yeah, which is <laughs> which is really interesting that you but you guys are both being able to create very different menus here. Kill, you mentioned something that was really interesting to me, and that was needing to hit a home run. That's a lot of pressure, you know, when you're <laughs> trying to create something to think, to have all those thoughts in your head. Um, I'm a black chef, and I have to represent this community, and I'm got to put forward this food that represents me, and yet will sell. You know, uh, mm-hmm. how do you how do you do that? How do you create a, a, a something that both honors what you really want to do and don't let it make you crazy over the pressure. I mean, no matter what, you're going to have the culture vultures that's going to come for you. <laughs> oh, what is the culture vulture? Um, I mean, it's everybody who thinks that, like, you know, you put, you make Trinidadian doubles and it doesn't look or resemble the doubles that they grew up eating or you mm. make jollof rice or you make grits with too much of this or you, you know, you're doing, you know, country fried pork chops a certain way that, that you know, you're you're doing something different, but um, say so pretty much he's saying like stepping outside the box of what the norm is. Right, it's what you know um, the culture vulture is, and they they're the people that's like looking down on you. It's like that's not right. That's not right. That's not right. Oh and it's man, like, yes. Well, what's actually right? It's my food, my 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 job to depict what I want to put on my plate, and that's that's the great thing about being chefs. We're like you know we're like the artists of of our cuisine you know right Aquino let me let me ask you that because the food that so a little background you and and your wife now wife Jamila yeah uh own this little bed and breakfast in Overtown and pandemic hits and you gotta shut down and but you guys decide to start cooking out of the kitchen and the first thing you guys come to is like what you would consider um you know kind of like uh like staples of black food so like black southern food let's say that's black southern American food and it's like it's yes, there's chicken and biscuits on it, but there's these twists to it. So tell me about your experience with trying to create food that you, is going to sell to the community that they're going to like, but then putting your own twist and twist, and then dealing with people uh, saying, "Oh, this is not quite right." Right. So like, I, like as I mentioned before, like one of our items, like it's a very special dish within within Rosie's and is won awards for like you know for having a different twist to it. So our wild mushroom planta, you know, crispy mushrooms that we get from local farmers. Um, with a poached egg, green onion gremolata, which comes from like the Italian twist uh, on our cuisine, and then we we serve that on a bed of uh, our southern plenta. 
So when we say Southern polenta, it's literally uh, white corn grits. Right. Uh, with with polenta mixed in, it's a sixty forty ratio, and then all the black love put into it. A hundred percent of black love put into it. And and how did people respond to that? Because like you said, you you twist the thing a little bit. You yeah, it's like you know we we get those guests that really want to like experience what we're what we're uh, depicting to be our type of food and um and some people are open to it and really want to like all right i've never tried it this way and some people are like that's not the way my grandmother used to make it or you know that's not the way but it's not it, it's not the way that anyone actually would make it so that's where that's the whole that's the great thing about being a chef is that we get an opportunity just to play with the food that we've uh, grown up with and that we've um that we want to depict you know like this, like this, uh, this upcoming Tuesday, we're doing a dinner, as you mentioned earlier. It's we we're really like stepping outside the boundaries. Like I grew up with a dish called pork and beans. Okay. So now that is going to be depicted on our menu. Like how like how would I want to depict that to my guests? Pork and beans to us was hot dogs and a can of uh, Campbell's uh, baked beans. Like that's completely different than how I'm going to serve it to my right. guests. It's gonna be a, you know a, a beautifully smoked and braised pork shank with some uh, white beans that we get from a heritage farm that's uh, that's like within the local region, and you know and just playing around with just those different flavors you know that we still grew up with. It's like why am I afraid to step outside the box of something that I I really love. I I love this idea of where this food comes from for you and how you change it in. It, with your experience with that you've seen in the world and Cleo so I'm, I'm curious about your experience with food how you came to really want to explore that that African food that changes throughout the diaspora like it's how it's different in Ghana versus when it gets to the Trinidad versus in in the south how did you um, get to wanting to explore that I mean it was I was in um uh, I think I was living in Atlanta this is the first time around I was in Atlanta um this was when Second season of Mind of a Chef had um, came out with Sean Brock. Oh, Sean Brock's uh, TV and, show, Mind of a Chef. Yeah, he okay. was he because he was on the second season. The first season was Dave, David Chang, and I think it was episode eight. He or seven. He goes to Senegal, and I remember sitting there watching that, and I'm, and I'm like, "What the hell?" Because <laughs> Sean Brock is a white chef. He's a white it? chef from the Appalachian region of you know southern america he grew up in the appalachian region of virginia mm-hmm. um so he went there to trace the food that his grandmother great-grandmother great-great-grandmother would cook for the family and you know and for me i remember watching that and i'm someone who have been to africa before prior to that and just thinking like you know i don't know probably a stone's throw about the the heritage and the culture or the depths of the food that we eat as black people. I know the surface level stuff. And so for me, like that just started my, my journey and really like diving in and to research and to connect with, you know, other writers or chefs who at that time where we were still kind of, I guess you could say simmering on the bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, asking where to start, where, what to look at, how should I approach it? Cause at that time, like, you know, I, you know, my, my cuisine was that, you know, just like Aquino was that Southern Italian cuisine that I love. Hmm. That's one reason I, I ended up in Italy, you know, 
So so you really you you thought this show you saw it and you and you thought this guy's exploring black cuisine and I haven't thought enough about yeah the roots of this cuisine in yourself so you started you started that search can can you tell me a little bit about your background because I know that you you weren't in cooking your whole career it's not if you don't mind me asking how old are you now I'm just turned forty about a month welcome ago. welcome to the forty club my friend <laughs> it's a great time to be alive. yeah they say I'm an OG now so. yes you are absolutely <laughs> welcome to the club so so you really got here you know. Uh, kind of in a little bit of a circuitous path. So you you joined the Navy just before 9-11, right? Yeah, I went into the Navy, um, what was it, June 2001. Wow. So literally like three months in, 9-11 happened. And um, you saw the world change, saw the world shift. shift. So, um, you know, but for me, cooking was always there. Like throughout high school, I was always in home economics. Oh, is that right? From, from grade seven all the way to 12th i was in home economics same here <laughs> always look at you guys i was in future homemakers of america <laughs> that's what the club was what what was uh where did you go to high school um i i started at palmetto and i graduated from gables okay so you you grew up down here in south florida yeah, yeah i'm born and raised in miami and you guys were both in in this uh like ho- late so cooking club this yeah. home yeah. club yeah obviously completely different areas like he's born and raised in miami i'm from Riviera beach uh, Just to, north of uh, West Palm, Mary. Correct, exactly. Literally, like five minutes away from West Palm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, one of my teachers came to me. Was like, "Hey, you have a knack for cooking. I love what, like your attention to detail." She was like, "Do you want to be on a competition team?" I played football in in high school at Palm Beach Gardens High School. I was like, "Why not? Let's let's do it." Oh, you had competition uh, in your blood. Okay. Yeah, and, you know, right. like so. It, I was I was super competitive as a kid. So I was like, "Yeah, let's do it." And she like brought me onto her team, taught me everything she knows. Chef Newman, never forget her, love her to death. She's literally like the like epitome of like why I've why I've decided to take this career to the next level. And they were um, like these were like uh, high school cooking competitions yeah. among other high schools. Yeah, we won nationals in uh, FCCLA. Wow, uh, Pro Start. See, they had changed and, the name by the time he came. Yeah, through. like <laughs> what they call it, the Aquino West. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, because like I remember they changed the name from Future Homemakers America to be more inclusive. Oh, okay. And they changed it to FCCLA. Say you are an old head. See? <laughs> <laughs> so hear him say, because I'm—I mean, what you're what thirty-two now? Yeah, thirty-two. Yeah, so you know, I got eight years on him. So, what what kind of stuff were you guys cooking then in in, in high school at that time? So it, yeah. it, it was you know for for at least for me it was like uh, super basic you know yeah. talking about like um, cakes pancakes yeah, cake yeah yeah cakes pancakes but we like when we did like competition it was like. Um, what do you call it? Oh man, it was like uh the like mango salsa with the seared shrimp and <laughs> oh, it was I like super old school. It was like right, right, yeah, I can, yeah, I like could... uh, uh, you know, taking rice and putting it in a cup and turning it upside down and making a mound. It's like yeah, it's completely different than how we would uh, serve our food nowadays. <laughs> yeah, but what an inspiration, right, for both of you guys to like have. It sounds like you guys had people that supported you in in this path for sure. Or, yeah. yeah, you know, like. Everyone in our community, down to you know, I grew up in like I, said, I grew up in Riviera Beach, like as people considered the ghetto, um, but I grew up in a you know place where like our street was like super homey. You know, everyone took care of each other, everyone cared about each other. Um, but who, also, who were some of those mentors for you? It was you know, so I I had a lot of teachers that you know that focused in on on my like career because I, I was like super uh, committed to the community, super committed to. You know football and staying out of trouble 
but also like when it came down to 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 that like it was just the like said the the local the, our, our our local like street so like one of my friends reggie napier he uh his dad was always there making sure that we were taken care of my mom well my mom was like you know down and like not able to take care of us we would like go over to his house let's hang out you know one of my neighbors down the street mr chris every day was like hey guys come over to my house while your mom is at work let's hang out you guys can play video games do your homework first and it just you know it became like a, a tight-knit community um to, to to primarily stay out of trouble which was like super important for all of our parents then back then because you know one or two things you could easily get in trouble you yeah. know what about you, uh, Cleo? What kind of things were, what kind of folks were mentors to you? And who, who were those mentors that, that really kept, um, you know, kept you going? I mean, definitely my grandparents. Um, you know, my, my grandmother, you know, recently passed away about three years ago. I'm sorry. Um, she was, a you know, a significant person in my life. Just even why I like cooking. And, you know, and, and I definitely got to say my mom also. So, you know, that's a lot of reason why I, did love cooking because um, they're both educators, but they always had that side hustle of catering for oh. like the potlucks and church events and f- friends and family weddings. So, what kind of stuff are they cooking? You know, um, soul food. You know, mac and cheese, collard greens, smothered pork chops, <laughs> like sauce. Um, I mean, you know, like I always said, like growing up here in South Florida, especially as a Black American, like we had more soul caribbean food because mm-hmm. um, you know we eat oxtails but you might go to other parts of the south and they're not eating like soul food the same way because you know soul food or all cuisine is re- regional but it, you know people forget even still here in america that black food is still regionalized just by where you grew up and that great migration of food or people too um has how people eat in california or Texas or the Northeast, you know, people up North eat sugar in their grits. Why the hell you want to do that? (laughs) So you might just have cream of wheat, you know what I mean? But, but you know, that's, that's, you know, like here in South Florida, you know, my family's been here since the, you know, what, early forties, I think. Wow. Okay. Um, Where are they from? um, You know, Caribbean, the South, you know, Mm -hmm. so, but mostly I would just say, you know, Southern Georgia. Mm Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, like we, we grew up eating like any other black American that grew up here in South Florida, you know, it always had a, a bit of the Latin American influence and the Caribbean influence, you know, with just also the soul food that, you know, we, we know just from our ancestral roots. So, and it, and that's funny, like when you say that, like I, I didn't grow up with any Caribbean like flair within, you know, within the cuisine that within like Southern cuisine. Like, I think because he's from Miami and in that area, like my dad's from Jacksonville, my mom's from Pahokee. So like when my grandmother used to cook, like, you know, mac and cheese, collard greens, same thing, uh, Cleo's saying, pork chops, sauce, fried chicken, you name it, that was on the stove. Like it, it was super like, uh, like tight Southern, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, like very strictly Southern. Yeah, it, like, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a little twist here and there. It was like, this is the way we do it. This is the way we always do it. <laughs> And, and I want to come back with you guys and talk more about some of those differences and how and how really black food is this wide ranging net. And we're going to talk about 
What's in that box you brought for us, Aquino? We're talking with Aquino West, the chef owner of Rosie's, and Cleophas Heddington, the head chef at Zach the Baker. I'll be back on Sundial in a minute. This is Sundial, and this is Carlos Frias, and our guests today are Aquino West, the chef owner of Rosie's, and Cleophas Heddington, head chef at Zach the Baker. Uh, Aquino is currently nominated as Emerging Chef for a James Beard Award, and Cleo uh, was a finalist last year. So uh, we were kind of talking here during the break, and uh, you guys really find yourself find yourselves talking about um, how the the culture of black food is represented, and how and how different it is, can you, and how it's depicted, so to speak. Talk to me a little bit about that, about the conversations that you guys have been having about um, about the, the idea of black food and, and what, what people perceive it. Well, I think the perception of black food is that it, um, you know, it can be what it is commonly associated with, with peasant food um, or people of low income, not high quality ingredients. Um, simple not not elegant not elevated um and that's the box that that i feel like you know as even just since we're talking about food just that black food has been stereotypically put into Mm -hmm. and now that you've you've had this rise of you know black chef black writers black cookbook authors um you know who have started to create a space for you know black chefs you know they they've carved out room for myself for Kino, for you know another black chef here in miami that you know um tristan epps um who's he was you know, at, he was at red rooster for uh, when they first opened yeah and you know now he's over the head chef over to eden rock recently um so but it's it's a perception, a perceived perception of what our food is supposed to be. Um, not even just from the outside in. I mean, not from the outside, but from within also, like we spoke about earlier. So us putting a spin and a twist, taking the skills and the techniques that we've, you know, developed through many repetitions of many services, working for many chefs, and now taking our own culture and bringing it and making it more relevant than it's ever been. And that's that's the important part for us more than anything is to show people that black food is just as important or equally important as Mediterranean, Italian, Japanese, Peruvian, Cuban food. So that's how I look at it. And for me, like the way I cook is... It's not about this divisiveness. Mm-hmm. It's about drawing upon the connections and us reflecting on how we are connected and how we are so similar and not, okay, you're Cuban, you're Haitian, you're Venezuelan, you're Nigerian or you're black American. It's, it's, it's about the connectivity, you know, and it's all of us through those connections, understanding our history understanding the influences that it has on us today as people as much as we think we are different we are extremely similar right and and then like obviously like everything cleo said is like he hit it on the head he took the words out of my mouth which is like awesome i think one of the like the points that like 
uh, we, we always try to talk about when we like when we have our like one on one conversations is like how much like, you know, like everyone, everyone, like as, as Cleo said before, you know, our food is like low income, you know, not not of high quality. But when we do bring high quality, when we do bring in the finesse and the skill into it and the amount of attention into our dish is our is our food not of the same price range as another, you know, another cuisine. Mm. Um, which is very interesting to see. Sometimes, like, you know, we we deal with this, you know, off and on at our restaurants. Like, oh, I paid $20 for a chicken and waffles or, you know, for the shrimp and grit. Yeah, but your shrimp came from the Gulf, it's, uh, Gulf white shrimp that cost me, you know, $12 a pound. Right. So, like, no one no one understands, like, the quality of food that they're getting. Or where are you getting your collard greens from? We're getting them from the Redlands. Where are you getting your grits from? Okay, we're getting them from Anson Mills. Like, all right, it's like you're, you're using actually a, you're using a high quality ingredient, right. which obviously raises the prices and it raises the, the the quality of the end product. But you, it sounds like you guys wrestle with with people learning to accept that like this is like this is black cuisine right. when it's done this way because like and, was, it, and it deserves to be yeah because like typically like, you know uh, you go to the, you go to any like like I guess. Any like I guess we would consider the hood. Any like <laughs> local community that's like uh, that has a black community in it. You go to any like uh, southern spot, you're probably paying ten dollars for a shrimp and grits, right. or maybe a little less, okay. seven dollars, five dollars. Like, and and that's okay for them. But for us, like our goal is to continue growing our cuisine, keep growing our culture, and and let everyone understand like we can still use high quality product and still you know, be depicted as a, uh, a quality uh, restaurant. And that's where it becomes a little difficult to, to like, touch on, you know. Right. And, and I want to talk about some of these connections um, with, with you know, how you, how you are able to beautifully tell these stories of food. And, and Cleo, you were mentioning those connections, showing people these connections. Is there, is there one food, give me an example, that, that people would be surprised to realize it, that they see that it shows up in, maybe African culture, uh, Af- like Africa, African food, and also shows up in, you know, the the Caribbean and the South. I mean, uh, either one of you guys jump in there with that. I mean, it's not just one. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a plethora. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I mean, like, you, you can always focus on, you know, obviously plantains. You can focus on cassava or, or yucca. Mm-hmm. Or um, it's the many variations of, of, um, of corn. Or even the use of, um, you know, um, beans and rice you know america was built on the back of rice culture mm. you know which would have never been a thing without you know learning how to cultivate rice properly through enslaved africans you know which was brought to the americas so you know rice is an important ingredients throughout latin america through the caribbean and africa in itself and especially if you go to the deep south rice is a staple ingredient so you know what meal do we have without rice for the most part even here in south florida you know the the influence of rice culture you know whether it's going from you know south pacific asia or asian culture um to east asia through the sub-saharan africa to to the caribbean and latin america and and back up into you know the north america like the influence of rice and the cultivation of it from Africa to Asia through the Americas is, is significantly important. And even just how 
the cultivation of grains and the history of it all has has become you know i think it's kind of being revitalized you know whether it's the use of fonia or sorghum or millet things of that nature right a wider range of grains being used Tell, tell me about that. How did you how did you go about exploring when you decided you've seen that show and here's this white chef tracing his roots to Senegal <laughs> mm-hmm. and you're like, you know, I need to learn about this food for myself and 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 explore it. What did you do? How did you go about doing that? Um, I think the first couple books I bought were by Jessica B. Harris. So you just read a lot. Yeah. You started um, by reading. Yeah, and, and I also like I said, I had I had traveled a lot. Cause, you know, I was I started off differently, like, you know, I went to the Navy, so I was making money already while most of my friends were in college, although a lot of that time was spent, you know, in Afghanistan or Iraq. Um, but once I got out, you know, I was I was the loan shark in the Navy, so because <laughs> everybody was spending their money and I was like, all right, you can borrow some, but, you know, it's coming with some interest. <laughs> so um, that's, that's funny. So um, I came out, you know, I was I was. Okay, and then I was able to get a good job working at Baptist and went to school. And But through that time, I was still able to travel, you know. Um, so you started traveling a lot while you had a career in, in public health, right? Yeah. So, you know, so I, I just, when I finally did got, not, when I finally did leave public health, and then, then even, what, three, four years into my cooking career, when I finally just started to, like, really think about black food, um, and a different lens that um, I was able to lean back on some of those experiences that I already had because I always traveled as as someone who loves history and culture. Like I'm not going to the fancy resorts all the time. I'm not See, doing all the tours, <laughs> the touristy <laughs> things. How's that? You are you are you a go to the touristy? Well, how like, was your how was your so like growing up? I did all the touristy things. Like mm-hmm. when we finally had like when my mom like finally got a good job and we was like well off on our feet like if i didn't grow up um well off and you know um you know as as most people typically are um like that low income whatever we can eat like like cleo mentioned before like rice and beans you know hot dogs like whatever we can find in the fridge that day is what what we kind of put together um but yeah like i grew up when we finally got opportunity like travel and see the world we did a lot of cruises, all the touristy spots. Hmm. But then when I met my wife Jamila, we like really got into culture and understanding um, understanding the world a little more. You know, went to New Orleans recently and was like, from a lens, it was like like mind blown. It's like I I haven't like really taken the time to really understand that. Also, when like when I decided to go to uh, Denmark, I was like, all right, I want to see the world from from outside. That I've never, I probably never get another opportunity to do so. So, like you know, Michael Schwartz back in the day and Bradley Heron, you know, put on this uh, opportunity for me to like you know raise money and and give me opportunity to go off to Denmark and really learn from like the top chefs. And that's what like always been about our career. You know, I've always told myself like I want to work for the best. I want to do the best. I want to like be a part of the best teams. And that's where like that competition like mindset has always been. You were you were working for uh, Michael Schwartz, who's actually also nominated for, uh, I want to say, outstanding uh, outstanding chef, yeah. outstanding chef nationally, and what have you. And, and he like uh, they they put on an event for you guys to cook so that yeah, raise we, money for you and, to go and to then Noma, at that right? point, yeah, I did like Southern backyard barbecue, like like I said, the food that I really enjoy and love, uh, food that I grew up with, like I said, for my grandmother. Majority of the recipes that I currently utilize all come from 
from my grandmother, uh, my great grandmother, uh, Grandma Cat. So you might see her depicted throughout the menu a lot. Um, a lot of the items that we use is like, you know, some of the items that my mom was like, let's do a twist on it. You know, we add mustard to our mac and cheese. Some people don't. And so it's like a little bit of a different twist that makes it uh, special for us. How did that, when you went to Noma, did you cook any of that food for them? And, I did. And how actually. did they respond to that? Yeah. So, you know, uh, during that time frame, it was like, you know, we had an opportunity to do a uh, family meal. Mm-hmm. So whoever had, whoever had the best family meal, everyone voted at the end of the month. So you went against four different teams. Uh, at the end of the month, they voted, and the, the person that won, or the team that won, got an opportunity to go to another Michelin star restaurant within the city. So we won, me and my, when me and my friend won twice, back to back. What and did we, you cook? Uh, we did mac and cheese, collard greens, fried chicken. And I have a photo where we like literally brought out a whole thing of fried chicken. Me and my uh, Canadian friend, he was just like, let's do it. <laughs> and we just like, we just like, you know, had the best time in the world. Cornbread, you name it. We just like had an opportunity to really like play with the food that we really care about and that, that depicted our our nationality um and and in front of these fan these really well-known highly regarded fancy chefs in, yeah in, but you know uh, it's denmark the great thing about working at noma was like chefs from around the world like everyone everyone you can think of like any country city you know like any part of the world was in that kitchen right and it was so amazing to really be a part of that because like it's not every day you get an opportunity to you know interact with so many people you know and, and here, so many different cultures. And here you are cooking this food, this family meal, which is like basically before the restaurant opens. You cook right. for, for it, yeah. We cook. It, we did two meals a day. Uh, we did lunch. Uh, sorry, breakfast and then and then dinner. Um, and it, yeah, it was, it was a great great opportunity to really uh, showcase what we can bring to the table. Um, and then you know, just recently, I just had a conversation with Chef Renee about you know the you know the like. He's negativity. The at, he's a chef at Noma. Yeah, sorry. The, yeah, executive chef at uh, you know the negativity that everyone's you know trying to depict on the restaurant, and and for me it was it was completely different. I knew what I was getting myself into. I knew that I was going to a uh, a Michelin star restaurant. I knew I had to pick time. I knew I was going to work a lot, a lot of hours, but I came there for an experience, and that's what was important, and that's what made me decide to you know continue my career and work for you know Neven Patel, work for you know some of the best chefs in Miami so I had opportunity to be in my in this place now right yeah some of the some of the we've heard some folks criticize as Noma announced that they were closing uh, in 2024 about uh, uh, harsh working conditions supposedly. right and I, so I we, completely disagree okay. <laughs> well that it, it's great to hear a, a, also a, another point to that uh, we're gonna take a little bit of a break here I know we promised the unboxing but uh, the conversation is so good that we're gonna save it till we come back right from this break uh, we're speaking with Aquino West and the chef Cleophas Hevington, uh, and this is Sundell. Be back in a minute. We're back on Sundial. This is Carlos Frias, and our guests today are Aquino West and the chef Cleophas Hevington. Uh, Aquino was nominated for a James Beard Award as Emerging Chef, and uh, Cleophas was a finalist last year. So, great opportunity for conversation. Um, we were just talking about uh, Noma at the end, and we had promised in the last segment you were going to open that box. So you brought this uh, this opaque white box that I want you to, to yeah, crack so, open. You know, it's a fish box, just like everyone uses in the in our industry. Okay. But yeah, we brought some mushrooms that you know are that we use within our, our restaurant that we get from two local farmers, uh, Imagine Farms, that's out of Little River, and Gratitude Farms. Uh, both are like you know something that 
we we love we, we love working with local farmers obviously uh like i said working for like two amazing chefs in miami uh neven patel and like i said michael schwartz they're all about this and that's where i got my love for it right like uh, michael schwartz was one of the first ones to go to farmers and say hey can you grow this specifically for me what can you grow and what can i use and neven has his own farm at his right. house which he includes and, and that's the i found that to be the amazing part is like it opened my eyes as such like you know as a young chef like I've never seen, you know, beautiful pink mushrooms. All right, tilt tilt this box toward me and let me let me kind of describe. Oh my God, it's just like a rainbow in here. We have these. uh, It looks like a bunch of like uh, like brown and gray trumpets on one side. Uh, That's uh, what kind of mushroom is this over here? So these actually are all oyster mushrooms, uh, different varieties. So blue, blue, uh, blue, uh, yellow, and then uh, these beautiful pink ones. Oh, they're different varieties, but they're so different. The one you're holding is like salmon colored. Yeah, and so like you know. Like being able to play with different uh, ingredients within Miami and being able to see how um, how these chefs has opened our eyes has been such an amazing experience. I'm pretty sure Cleo can speak on that as well. Like how he loves, you know, his his love for it. Yeah, I'm curious about when when you have product like this and stuff that you can you can use locally. How does that influence when you you create your cuisine? I mean, me just coming back here from Asheville. Um, if anybody. Knows about Asheville. Asheville is a, it's a beautiful place. It, but um, not only its beauty, it is, it is, it's, it's a rainforest. Mm. You know, um, so the amount of vegetation and livestock that is present there and that's present and readily available um, to chefs and the restaurants there, which that's what makes Asheville a great food scene, also. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that contribute to myself and being able to thrive there as a chef and be recognized as a finalist um, because there's, there's just amazing product. And when you're able to, it, it, I don't know it ver, verbatim, but there's a, a, a quote that Tom's, Thomas Keller you know, says in one of his books is saying like, you know, if I have inferior ingredients to you, who's, you know, who I mean, if I have superior ingredients to you, who ends up being the better chef? Hmm. And a lot of times that's the case because if you're able to take superior ingredients and manipulate it and use it correctly, and put out great product, it's it's going to give your guests, even your your team, a better experience. I'm curious about something that you have going on right now. So. After you were uh, a finalist last year, you were hired to be the the head chef at Sack the Baker, the head of the kitchen side. And you're di- like, this is technically a bakery. It's mostly of what they do. No, it's a bakery. But but they're, but, technically. but they're <laughs> but yes, but you guys are also developing a fuller menu with using these ingredients. And the thing is, they're all kosher. So tell me about what it's been like to learn all these things about flavors and food and African diaspora, and now adding the the kosher element to it. Um, it's a challenge um, because just something as simple as getting, I don't know, a can of tomatoes, if that's what you know we're using, or even just finding sherry vinegar, you have to make sure that it is kosher. Hmm. So, um, it you know, my approach to it has been to, like, and for me, I've always been a very, you know, ingredients-driven chef, and I also have also always gravitated towards vegetables in general. Um, and it just comes back from my time when I was working um, in Atlanta at the Optimus, um, and it's it's made me put a lot more vegetable forward dishes, but.
but manipulate them with using different spices because spices are significantly important to me and how I cook. Um, so for me, that's that's how I've approached it. You know, like taking spices, um, using different methods and techniques to to you know infuse flavor. Like you know we. We took an old Spaniard technique of tuna majo. I can't say it right, um, <laughs> majo man, something like that, and we basically cured tuna and you know let it you know age for almost a month. You know we shave it thin and it, you know with the spices that we put into the curing and even rubbing it down as we hung it, you know it gives you the flavor profile of like spec ham. Oh right, like a um, bacon, like a smokiness of the yeah, meat, that umami flavor that comes. Yeah, through. we we threw that on. Um, you know, I have a really great nudie recipe that I develop, and nudie, uh, is, a, nudie is like a kind of pasta. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a potatoless gnocchi basically. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, and we we picked that up in a a sherry bourbon sauce, or not bourbon, but bourmante, and you know, some small dice parsnips and you know it's just like i said it's it's manipulating and food to to replicate like how i see it and how i feel about it but also main maintaining those dietary guidelines of kosher ingredients talk to me a little bit about when you guys look at each other and the food that you're creating what does it say for the food scene in south florida how have you seen it change I think it's I definitely think it's developing. Um, I, I'm I'm really excited about um, all the amazing chefs that's coming out here, and I feel like that's why me and uh, me and Cleo, you know, connected so well, mm-hmm. and that's why we're working on a concept to, together, actually. So, oh, are you? Tell me about that yeah. a little bit. So yeah, go ahead, Cleo. Come on, let it out of the bag. <laughs> let, let it out, go. Cleo. That's it. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I mean, this is something we've we've I mean we've tiptoed around for a while, mm-hmm. um, but I you know we've Cause it's funny, like you know, three years ago, like when he was starting Rosie's, I, you know, because I had been living in Miami, I had left again. <laughs> like my mom calls Miami my layover city. <laughs> um, but I was back home and I was recovering from a car accident, you know, oh, um, that had happened prior to the pandemic. Okay. Um, hadn't worked in almost a year, and then him, you know, I remember he reached out to me because I was just like, you know, I'm back fully healthy because it almost took me a year to fully recover wow and he was like you know i need a little help and i needed a little lint in my pocket Mm -hmm. um to you know get by um you know so it used to be me and him in that hotel kitchen hot as hell with a double fryer (laughs) fish and chicken (laughs) not commercial or or, or (laughs) cooking on a on a residential um stovetop but um and you guys, so this started at Rosie's at the at the pop up restaurant. Yeah, yeah this is that, at, this is at the Copador actually. Yeah, yeah I, was, so. I was his first cook. Yeah. Oh yeah, because, <laughs> okay, so I mean, the pandemic, I mean, hit a lot of people in a lot of different ways. And and uh, Aquino, you and Jamila, your your wife, uh, had this um, this bed and breakfast in Overtown, really beautiful, but it had to be shut during the pandemic. Right. And that's where you guys started cooking out of. And people should know that that little kitchen I was in there, it is hot. It was like maybe <laughs> ten by ten. Yeah, it, it was, was a residential kitchen. You know. Four, four top electric burner, um, you know, one residential fryer, and we made well, we like we made magic out of it because you know when you're cooking from your heart, it's a little different. But kind of like get back to what you're saying about you know the concept where we like tip for. I've always I was always admired you know what Cleo was doing and you know specifically uh, what part 
Say again. Specifically, what part were you? Would you admire that that you the, he was doing? Just focus on the African diaspora. You know, mm-hmm. like I, I was like, I want to learn more about that. I want to be a part of that. Like you know, so we like kind of like you know tiptoed around about it. Like, hey, let's open up a concept together. Uh, you know, just trying to be able, like, and I think that's where it's always been hard is that being able to find the funding to do it. Mm-hmm. And obviously, if you can come together and put funding together, it becomes a lot easier on on the bigger operation so that's why we're like right now we're you know out in the market looking for investors and things of that sort because me and me and Cleo are, are you know focused on uh you know a concept that's focused on the african diaspora but i'd love for Cleo to talk a little more about that <laughs> yeah like he keeps, he, he's yeah, afraid he's afraid to talk about it yeah because that's <laughs> well i mean i mean you know for me it's just like it it just you know it also makes sense you know it's two essentially two homegrown talents um, you know, we, we want to, we want to replicate, you know, to an extent, someone like Mike Beltran that's, that's born and raised in Miami, you know, while, you know, him of Cuban descent and someone who like I've lit, looked to also as just as a, you know, a leader, as a local chef who's grown into all this, like we want to come together and kind of build you know, build a an establishment, you know, build a brand, build quality ingredients and, you know, emulate our culture at the level and consistency that every other, um, you know, cuisine and culture can be. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's important that like we would like to do it here in Miami at home, you know. Um, what, get, what What is it about Miami that you feel like is ready to support this when you look around to, to support kind of this? this new way of looking at and of elevating, uh, you know, and finding the, you know, the, the beautiful parts of, of the, I mean, for one, it's, it's just, a it's the diversity of, of, well, we have a, a plethora of diversity within the Latin community mm-hmm. here, but there's, there's a diverse amount of people that's always coming through our city. Right. You know, um, we are a destination location, you know, just as most great food cities are while, Miami is still, I feel like, in its toddler stage as a food city. Um, we haven't fully become adults yet, but we're getting there. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, 10, 12 years ago when I started cooking, like, you know, it wasn't really a food culture here. But now now it is becoming one. You know, it's becoming a place where, you know, people come to Miami and they're not just coming for a nightclub or the beach, but they're also, or just for Wynwood, but they're seeking out the hot spots of to eat, especially with the Michelin um, guide coming here. Cause you know, ultimately that's also one of our goals too. We want to, we want, we want a Michelin, you know, we don't want to just be added to the Michelin guide. We want a Michelin star or two or three. <laughs> talk, talk to me a little bit about in the last minute or two that we have here about what did it mean to see, each of you, you for each other to see each other nominated for this really it's a national award it's not just a regional award what did it mean to see each other nominated and then back to back years yeah so here like, in miami for me like i was super excited when when i saw cleo name on the on the roster i was like you know like except for it's, it's a very close friend of mine that means like for me like you know especially like how we kind of depict our restaurant as well how can we focus on our team how can we focus on our hospitality how can we, how can we focus on you know, our group as a family, you know, trying to bring that culture together. Um, and that's what's been super important about how we've been able to grow. And I feel like that's where, you know, I've, you know, Cleo has been able to 
bring his team together, and I and I love that about him. And what about you, Clint? The last thirty seconds that we have here. I mean, I was probably more excited and proud <laughs> for him <laughs> than than I was for myself. I mean, I called him and texted him like maybe two or three times over like three days. He just, knew about it before I did. <laughs> oh, you had an inside track on that. <laughs> so, so, you know, it's it's just good because, I mean, it's something we've talked about, you know, like just intimately of ourselves of what we wanted to achieve. And the fact that we both have and we've done it back-to-back years is it says a lot about both our creativity, our drive, and our, you know, our goals. So, Well, well I'm... I'm- I'm sure that Miami is ready to see what you guys continue to do individually and together. I have not forgotten. Our guests today have been Aquino West, the chef and owner of Rosie's, and Cleophas Hethington, the head restaurant chef at Zach the Baker. Uh, both have been nominated for Emerging Chef by the James Beard Award. Thank you both for joining us no, today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. And that's Sundial for Tuesday, February 21st. Leslie Ovalle Atkinson is our lead producer. Elisa Baena is our producer and social media editor. Sergio Bustos is WLRN's VP of News. Katie Munoz is our director of live programming. Peter J. Meritz is WLRN's vice president of radio. Our engineer today is Richard Ives. Our theme music is by the Miami Afro-Cuban funk band Palo at gopalo.com. You can download a podcast of this program if you missed part of this conversation. Just search for WLRN Sundial on your podcast app. Coming up on the program, we continue to hear from people in the food industry this month. The James Beard nominations came out, and the annual South Beach Food and Wine Festival is happening this week. Tomorrow, we hear from a woman who is organizing to collect food from grocery stores, restaurants, and other locations that would otherwise go to waste. She makes sure it gets into the hands of people who need it. I'm Carlos Frias. Thanks for listening. WLRN Public Media.